Last year on HBO's Last Week Tonight, John Oliver staged the biggest one-time giveaway in television history. Bigger um, than Oprah's free cars. Bigger than Oprah's free cars. Oprah's free cars was um, was about eight million dollars. She gave away about eight million dollars in free cars, well, and and John. Well, she gave it, but they gave it to her to give it. John Oliver gave away almost double that. Um, it's one of my favorite television moments ever, but it was on HBO. And I was, I was going to show it to you, but it was on HBO at night, and so Nancy wouldn't let me play the clip. Um, to show how easy it was to get into the debt collection racket and start harassing people who owed money on past medical bills, John Oliver started a debt, a debt collection agency for $50. Within weeks, he had a portfolio of $15 million in outstanding medical debt owed by 9,000 people in Texas. That's about, if I did my math right, it's about $3,000 each. No, no, he, 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 he incorporated in Mississippi. He got the debt because that's, it only cost $50 to do it in Mississippi. He got 9,000 people, $15 million. He bought that $15 million in debt for less than half a cent on the dollar roughly $75,000. Rather than trying to collect the money, he partnered with a nonprofit agency and figured out a way to forgive it with no negative tax consequences for the people who owed the money. There are organizations that have dedicated themselves to regularly doing what Oliver did as an attention-getting stunt. There was one a few years ago called Rolling Jubilee that got in the news uh, because they bought millions of dollars in debt and then started contacting the people that owed it and instead of being a collection agency they said we're wiping it out it's done it's over um, the one that Oliver partnered with I think is still around it's called RIP medical debt it's a novel approach to alleviating a problem that can be economically crippling for people that are burdened with that kind of debt and it's that kind of novel approach that I want you to keep in mind as we read our chapters today. I want to spend most of our time in chapter 15, which is, that's, that's the money chapter. But I'm going to start with some things in chapters 16 through 18 and then come back and we'll take the hard look. So in chapter 16, Moses tells people how to, how to celebrate different festivals. There's the Passover, there's the Festival of Weeks, and the Festival of Tabernacles. He gives them instructions about what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to do it and what, what each different festival and celebration and commemorative time is supposed to look like. And then he tells them who to celebrate it with. So for the Passover, it's roast your sacrifice. This is in verse 7, chapter 16. Roast your sacrifice and eat it at the place the Lord your God will choose. Then in the morning, return to your tents. For six days, eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day, hold an assembly to the Lord your God and do no work. For the festival of weeks, rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your town and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and carefully follow these decrees. Then for the festival of tabernacles, be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows who live in your town. 
every time God makes a point of saying the celebrations aren't supposed to be just for the people who have the means to celebrate. Everybody is a part of this community. When he moves on to Judges in um, verse 18, there's a specific injunction not to accept bribes. In other words, not to stack the deck in favor of only the people who can afford justice. Follow justice and justice alone, Moses tells the people. Great attention is paid throughout the book of Deuteronomy, not just to take care of the people who are poor, who have no land, who have no power, who have no standing, but also to make sure that they are welcomed and treated as neighbors, as family, as fully functioning members of the community. They're not those people, they're our people. That, if you were in first service today, you heard Josh kind of talk about this concept a little bit. If you're going to second, you will hear it, where he talks about one of the unique things about Jesus was the concept of not putting family first. And, and sometimes we hear that as you've got to be able to put away your family, but Josh kind of turns it and looks at a different facet. And it's, it's more about thinking of other people as much like your family as you think of your own family and not, not putting that sort of wall of protection around your family just because they're yours and excluding other people in the larger community. Philip Camp talks in, um, in this book, Living as the Community of God, talks about a friend who ran a, home, uh, ran a program that provided meals for homeless people in Trenton, New Jersey. The man said that he hated the phrase feeding the homeless because it made it sound like we were dealing with livestock. He thought such language dehumanized people who came for a meal, so he called them our guests. He also insisted that those who came to help in serving the meal also joined the guests at the table sharing the meal. Moving on into chapter 18, it begins with a reminder that the entire tribe of Levi, Levi gets no allotment or inheritance with Israel. Instead of amassing land, they must live on the food the others offer to the Lord. One commentator I read this week suggested this was to keep the people of God from also becoming an economic force that could corrupt the message of God or could oppress the people of God because not only did they have the theological power, the religious power, but they had economic power as well. Israel is a theocracy, sure, but they're a theocracy without economic clout. Instead, the people who run the religion are dependent on the people to whom they minister to feed them. Now, with all of this in mind, let's go back and read chapter 15 about the year of debt forgiveness. And I'm going to split it into three readings. We'll read the whole chapter, but I need somebody to read verses 1 through 11, somebody to read verses 12 through 18, and then somebody to read 19 through the end of the chapter. And while we're reading, be thinking of this. Given the parameters of our immediate religious community, so Otter Creek, and maybe extending just beyond the walls of the congregation to the people that we would consider part of the Otter Creek family. How can we take the principles that we're about to read about that are presented here and adapt them to our circumstances? If we did something that looked like this here, in this place, in this time, in this setting, what could that look like? 
So if somebody could start and read the first 11 verses. Okay? At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land of the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance. He will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. The Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near. So that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to do. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Okay, verses 12 through 18. Okay. If a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman was sold to you and has served you for six years, in the seventh year you must set him or her free, released into a free life. And when you set them free, don't send them off empty-handed. Provide them with some animals, plenty of bread and wine and oil. Load them with provisions from all the blessings with which God, your God, has blessed you. Don't for a minute forget that you were once slaves in Egypt, and God, your God, redeemed you from that slave world. For that reason, this day I command you to do this. But if your slave, because he loves you and your family and has a good life with you, says, I don't want to leave you, then take an owl and a Take an owl and pierce through his earlobe into the doorpost, marking him as your slave forever. Do the same with your women slaves who want to stay with you. Don't consider this an unreasonable hardship, this setting your slave free. After all, he's worked six years for you at half the cost of a hired hand. Believe me, God, your God, will bless you in everything that you do. Okay, and then 19 through the end of the chapter. You must set aside for the Lord your God all the firstborn males from your flocks and herds. Do not use the firstborn of your herds to work your fields and do not shear the firstborn of your flocks. Instead, you and your family must eat these animals in the presence of the Lord your God each year at the place he chooses. But if this firstborn animal has any defect, such as lameness or blindness or if anything else is wrong with it, you must not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Instead, use it for food for your family in your hometown. Anyone, whether ceremonially clean or unclean, may eat it, just as anyone may eat a gazelle or deer. But you must not consume the blood. You must pour it out on the ground like water. Okay. So let's play a game of what if. Obviously, we're not set up in a 
community like the Israelites were. It's a different time, it's a different place, there's different technology, we've got different cultural system, different government system, so it's, it's very different. We can't do exactly what God is telling Israel to do here. But what if, what if we did something like that? What, would that? what could that look like at Otter Creek? If we were going to set up a system or a program or a ministry, call it whatever you want, what would that look like if we did that here? If we took, if we took chapter 15 seriously? Any thoughts? <laughs> okay, how could we adapt to this? Yep. Yeah. Well, Yeah, exactly, and I and I think that's that's the thing that whatever what what whatever you come up with with the financial specifics, that's the thing that you have to keep in mind. I would doubt if they would loan any money after the six years. Well, but but he addresses that. I mean, he he specifically says he says if if you're thinking that way, that's an evil thought. Where does he say that? Verse nine. Verse nine. He said, "Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought." Quote. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near, end quote, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing from year six to year seven. He's like, I know that you're going to do that. Don't. Well, uh, part of the issue here, at the beginning, he says, there really shouldn't be any poor as you go in. There shouldn't be, because he's going to, he theoretically is providing opportunity for yep. And yet, human nature being what it is, he says there's going to be some poor when you get there. There's going to be some poor going on. Yep. Because of their own ineptness, uh, their sinfulness, or whatever. Uh, you, you have to picture this as a society that's off the grid. Right. And it's difficult for us to put, put our minds around that. The closest thing you can think would be a closed community like the Amish. Yep. Where they are not on the electrical grid, they're not on the phone system, they, they live off the land. Your attitude becomes quite different. The closest thing I ever came was during the period after a hurricane. Yeah. No electricity. There's no water. There's, and suddenly, you're relying on others to bring you or help you get to the things you need desperately. Yeah. Water. Just basic stuff. Well, after the flood, I remember yep. in our neighborhood, our neighborhood was affected by the flood of 2010. But our house was not because our house sits up on a hill but many of our neighbors got water in their houses. But yeah, so we were an island for three days. Yeah, but those of us who weren't affected were, were affected in that our phones didn't work, our electricity didn't work, so we didn't have power, we didn't have air conditioning. Um, and the, the thing that happens, you know, first of all, problems, all the food in your freezer starts to thaw. 
in, in those three days. And so people were coming out and bringing their grills and setting them up in the middle of the street. And we were having block barbecue parties where everybody was just cooking their freezers. And one night it would be us, and one night it would be our neighbors across the street. And so everybody was just eating together. That's yeah, that's a glimpse. Right, right. Yeah, and and uh, and you're you're right. This is a very different circumstance. They're off the grid. It's it's hard for us to see this. But there's a mindset there of what went on at the flood, what went on in the hurricane. What if we took that mindset, applied it to finances, and dealt with it here? I saw you, and then you. Right. And then, um, you know, I, I even heard a professor talking about this verse saying, I think that if we were really serious about this, the credit card companies wouldn't be sending uh, credit cards to my college students. Right. Like, yep. you know, that kind yep. of thing, those practices that are, that wouldn't have a place in this sort of Yeah. Practice. Well, in, in, in fact, there are specific injunctions. You can charge interest to foreigners. You can't charge interest to Israel. So it's a similar concept. I'm really fascinated by this thing that's uh, common in, uh, especially nowadays in developing countries, called micro loans, yep. which I think is a fascinating concept to help people uh, to help people get not a you know a big kick through the goalpost, but a little boost. Uh, and so, what would it look like? Mm-hmm. No interest micro loans for the people in our community that happen to need it for whatever reason. Yeah. All right, so let's 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 combine these two, and then I'll then I'll go to you, and then you. So what if? And, I, and I'm just I'm I'm not suggesting this, but I'm just throwing this out as something that could be done that would m- meet these principles. What if a congregation decided to start paying off those high interest credit card loans of? its congregation and setting up the members of its congregation with no interest loans to get them out. I mean, that would... I mean, that, that, could, we, could we require that they cut up the cards? Yes. yes. Well, I, <laughs> you know, it's like, we're, we're, we've, got, we've, got, we've, got a financial, we've got a financial peace class going on right now. What if at the end of the financial peace class, the leaders, you know, so, some leaders of the congregation went to those people and went, you know, we've got you, we, we've given you the tools for how to live debt free. We know you've been paying off through this class. What we're going to do is we're just going to wipe that off. We're going to, we're going to finish, we're going to finish that. You know, we, we're talking a lot right now about how the congregation, the corporate body is going to be debt free. When is it? 15 months. 15 months. Debt free. Corporate body is debt free in 15 months. How much does that free up in the budget? $500,000 annually. $500,000 annually freed up in the budget because the corporate body is going to be debt free. What if we made it a commitment not to not only to have the corporate body debt free, but every member in the congregation debt free? But here's the problem. Okay. The, the, uh, those of us that know that are already thinking how to spend that money. Yeah. It's gone. Oh, I know. I know. I, I, I understand that. And that's, that's why I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm not suggesting this. I'm just, I'm just trying to get you to think of ways that to, to, to think like this chapter. There are kind of two recurring principles. I say one is 
Don't hold on to so tightly to the money because you got it from God. Right. You didn't have it. The other is just like the micro loans. Don't assuage your conscience by giving, you know, giving to those people. But the idea, even with these small organizations like Healing Hands with the micro loans, they give them to people who they have trained to do something with. Yeah. You bring them into the community. You give them a place in order to become productive. You don't just Right, and and that's and that's why I'm talking here t today. I'm talking specifically about the com you know people that are part of our community, the people the people in this class who have outstanding medical debt, the, you know, or whose whose children in the young married's class have. I mean, we we kind of do parts of this anyway. I mean, that's that's kind of what the baby showers and the wedding showers are like. I mean, that's that's about taking people who are at the beginning. Of a, of a part of their life cycle and making sure that they are well established the same way that when they're talking about slaves who are leaving it's like make sure they're well established it's the same sort of thing there's a fascinating principle too in Leviticus where uh, it talks about not cutting, <coughs> not cutting the corners of your field mm -hmm. for the poor to glean from them so if the corner of your field was pretty small like you didn't leave much then you're, as it says here, your eye was bad. You weren't generous. Yeah. Right? So the bigger the corner of the field, the more generous you knew that person was. Right. You just wonder if, like, part of the problem is the lack of transparency with the people who have money. Yeah. I think one practical thing is maybe we make the offering time and the service a bigger deal. If we're complaining that there's not enough money to do enough good, well, we don't spend a lot of time saying, like, Jesus spent... Many, a lot of content in the Gospels is Jesus talking about. You don't need as much money as you have. You can give it away because coming from God, living with God, you're in abundance. Or as the father says to the older son in the story of the prodigal son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Yeah. So, you know, that transparency and the not cutting the corner of your field you just wonder if there's a lot of carryover that we are missing out on by the lack of transparency in our own yeah. And the Leviticus principle ties to what you were talking about because the people who were harvesting the fields, they could have harvested the fields completely, then taken a percentage and given it to the poor. But the point was that you, you left it there so that the people who needed it could go get it that that made them more a part of the community and less somebody who was just being handed stuff. Um, I s well, I was just kind of like that. In the beginning of chapter 15, he says, you know, theoretically, there shouldn't be poor people among you, but then towards the end of that section, he says, there will always be poor people among you. There shouldn't be poor people because he's pro provided a means for them to live so that the people who, that there are always extra resources mm -hmm. for those that don't have them. But then he acknowledges you're probably going to cut all of your wheat. So make sure you're still aware. And I think that they were aware of, they were so aware of other people's needs yeah. in a way that we tend to not be. Yeah. Fletcher. I, I doubt if John Dunlap was thinking about Deuteronomy 15 when he did this, but the, the story told at his funeral, I think, is somewhat informative. Uh, a man got up at the funeral and he was in tears part of the way through the story. But he said that many years ago, they had been, he and his family had been befriended 
by John and Mary Dunlap. And one night, they were talking on the phone, and Mary Dunlap said, I'm so glad, because they were expecting a baby. And the lady said, yes, but I'm not sure we're even going to be able to pay the hospital expenses. And later that evening or another evening, John went over late at night and said, if you don't mind, could I look at your bills? And so they showed him, and he took out a checkbook, and he wrote a check for each one of them. And then he wrote a check and said, this should pay the hospital bill for your baby. And John said, I've got a job this summer. He's an, he was an engineer, he taught. He said, I've got a job this summer. I can, I can do this. And so it was, it was just a gift. Now, later the debt was repaid, but John just gave it with no expectation. Yeah. But I, I, I think that may speak to something like this anyway. Yeah, I, 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 th I think it's, 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 ab it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's absolutely the heart of what I'm talking about. One of, one of my favorite things that I ever saw a, a Sunday school class do, I attended a congregation, and they had, there, I think there were three people, there were three families in that class who had been without jobs long term. And so they were beginning to really feel the strain there. And, and I'm not sure how they did this without these three people knowing it, but the class put on a class yard sale. And in, in the yard sale, they, they didn't price anything. And so whenever anybody came to the sale um, and asked the price, they told them the story. We are, we're not pricing anything. This is pay, pay whatever you want, but this is what we're doing this for. And so you had, you had a lot of really interesting stories come up through that. I remember, um, I remember an eight-year-old girl buying a hundred-year-old quilt for $5 because she just fell in love with the quilt and that's what she had. I remember a bike that was worth way more selling for 10. I remember, I think it was an ice tray or a plate that sold for $20 because they heard the story and they're like, I'll take the plate, here's a 20. By the end of the day, there was $3,000 and the next Sunday, um, three women had their purses briefly taken without their knowledge and 10 $100 bills put in the purse and purse put back in the seat without them ever knowing. Um, I love that story. <laughs> that was one of my favorite things that I ever saw done. Um, but so, so what, if, what if we decided we wanted to focus not just on, like I said, on having the corporate body out of debt, but on getting every single member in the congregation out of debt? How would that change? You know, we've talked about how it changes the, what we can do to just have that money, but how would that change the emotional and the spiritual health of the congregations and the families in the congregations if nobody in this congregation had to operate under the weight of debt? How would that free up the people here spiritually? How would it change the ability of this congregation to be agents of God in the world? And um, there was one, oh, and this is probably, doing something like that probably would not be the sort of thing that you could do on a continuous day in and day out basis. So it's probably not sustainable indefinitely, but what if, what if we did it not constantly, but followed the example of Deuteronomy and did it every seven years? Every seven years was focused on getting people out of debt, getting, you know, at, at the least, getting rid of interest, getting rid of the interest payments. I mean, that way, the corporate, body, the corporate body would have time to build up 
the funds to make a program like that work. It's less likely to enable a mindset of, yeah, I'll just borrow what I can, and if I can't pay it off, the church will take care of it, because you don't, you don't want to enable. Um, it addresses the problem uh, or the, the potential issue of people coming in to take advantage they would, you know, have they would have seven years to become part of the community. Year six, we'd have a lot of new members. Yes. <laughs> well, if we made, yeah, if you if you made a big deal about it, but but I I kind of like this as a as, as an approach toward church growth. As, our, as, as Hilton pointed out, our society is completely different from that kind of agrarian society. But I think it might operate something like I believe Doug Sanders and Ed Boyd and Don Portell operate when. And others mm -hmm. that here are presented with these. They don't just hand out the money, but they talk to the person about needs and how you're going to structure your finances. And right. With the, the financial piece. Yeah, it, 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 yeah. Which is, I think, a, maybe works better in our kind of society and mm -hmm. culture than it would in an Amish community or right. a community like that. But there's, there's room to do, to do this sort of thing. Yeah. But we might need to think about exactly how it should function in our society. Right. Well, and, and, and the sorts of things that Doug and Don do really point toward their, their, their steps toward being part of the community. Yeah. And, and, and what, I'm, what I'm talking about is not looking for people outside to help, but it's how do you, how do you help the people in your congregation who are struggling, who are suddenly you know, find themselves without income, who, you know, where there's a catastrophic illness that just wrecks their finances. And I just, I, 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 I think this is, this is about creating a community that's able to do that sort of thing. And here's the great thing about the seven-year system that um, one, one of the commentators that I read pointed this out, it, it keeps financial problems from becoming hopeless. If, if every seven years you know uh, I get to push the reset button. Then, because these days you get saddled with student loan debt and a bad job, or you have a catastrophic illness, you get some kind of judgment against you, that weight can stay on you for the rest of your life. I, mean, I, I remember. The problem is, I think our own sense of justice comes in here mm -hmm. because you invariably will have people who will abuse the system. Yep. That have no discipline on the use of credit cards, that have no discipline on evaluating economic choices. And so you'll have the irresponsibles who run up the debts knowing they're going to get out of it. You'll have the, the people who, through no fault of their own, who, through a medical mm -hmm. emergency or whatever, have this debt. But you know, it's a real strain at your own sense of logic when you read of a person who went to college at a place they could not afford studied a field of study that will not produce the amount of income ever, ever, yeah. to pay off the debt they've accumulated. And then sit around and bemoan their fate. It, it, it defies my imagination. Yeah. yeah. But you know but you know the great the great thing about this chapter? God says if they're part of your community I do it anyway. I I absolutely I, I I am I am right there with you. <laughs> Commonplace, or was it, you know, just something that was left up to the individual? Yeah, and, and, and there's 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 not 
I, I have not seen the kind of history that I would want to, you know, coming from where, I, coming from my perspective, that I would want to see that said they did this. But if you or they they did this consistently and across the board. But there there are passages that you can kind of pull together and go, oh, okay, here they here they are. They're doing it here. You know, there there's there was one about um, they let the slaves go. And then there was another, and, and, but then they kind of didn't, and things went south because they were like, oh, you can't leave anyway. And then you, and so, so there, there is some of that. There's, there's not as much of it as I wish there were. Um, and, and there are probably other people that can speak to that better than I can. What Hilton is describing, uh, though, the way you mitigate against that is our community is a lot more involved in each other's lives. Right. right. Mm -hmm. You've got a, a Western and sort of an Americanized culture that places a very high value on privacy yep. such that I'm really eager to tell you uh, how deeply in debt that I am, but I'm not so eager to tell you how I got there. Yeah. Or allow me to help you get out of it. Yeah. 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 And, and, and that, and that is the flip side of it. Right. Isn't it the year of Jubilee when the land was returned and all that stuff, didn't they never do that? Didn't the people of Israel never actually celebrate the year of Jubilee? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I because because I, I I don't know that just because there's not a passage that says and the year of jubilee came and everything reset. I th I, th I think just because it's not there doesn't mean that it didn't happen. But I also think that they were often messing up just enough to be getting carted off to well, Babylonia. But how many other rules and laws? Have yeah. Set down that people pick and choose. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, well, we don't really like that one, so we're not going to do that one. Mike? I know this is in the context of a community, but it seems like he's really addressing individuals. Is that true? I don't know if he's Right. Um, and I'm going to do what I can to alleviate the pressure that has been put on the faith. It is based on relationships, like you said, and you do have those kind of networks if you look for those eyes. Yep. But it, it, it does get back to what you were saying of being involved in the community. The year of Jubilee. If you receive the land 10 years before Jubilee year, you pay one price. You were really yeah. renting that land. If you did it 20 years before, you paid a different price that was much higher. And that required everyone being involved, everyone knowing the rules, and everyone understanding the concepts. Right. It, it was not just, you know, done without a lot of training yeah. a lot of education. Yeah, I, I, exactly. But and, and, and you said you said something key there. They were really just renting the land. And that's that's one of the things that this system really puts in front of people that this is this is not about what you own. Owning is not forever. You have you have this because the Lord set you up with this when you came out of Egypt. The Lord redeemed you from Egypt. He brought you out of slavery. You need to bring the people under the slavery of debt out 
and set them up. You know, you, you know, if you've got servants, you need to set them up the way that you got set up when you came out of slavery in Egypt. If you've got people under the slavery of debt, you need to help redeem them the way that God redeemed you. You don't own this forever. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's God's. It's not about, it's not just about passing it down to your kids. It's not just about building enough, as I think Dave Ramsey likes to say, building enough to, to change the history of your family line. It's about, it's, 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 it, it ends up being about the community of God being the agents of rest in the world. Because this is, because the community God's vision for this community is to become a place that continually redeems those that find themselves under some kind of bondage and that continues to be an agent of rest in the world. Um, here's, what, here's what Camp says near the end of the chapter. says, the freeing of debts, generosity to the poor, and release of slaves well supplied mirrors God's gracious gift of deliverance from slavery and the rest of the land, and the rest in the land. The Israelites become God's agents of rest. Wayne. As we talk about, uh, read about this, this system that uh, was described here in the world, uh, you think about also different systems that when you read Leviticus and the things that people were required to do in the system that existed there, it makes me think about uh, the principle that I saw going from the Old Testament where the idea converted from systematic practice to changing of hearts. Right. And so I, I hear this and I think more about uh, kind of what Susan mm -hmm. just said that what we probably would do better with is to have uh, a, a theology and a practice that we would relieve people of their debts and their problems, not every seven years, but every time they came to us. Yeah. And, um, and as I thought about that a little bit, we're already doing this at Otter Creek. Now, most people don't know much about We do a lot of this at Otter Creek, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's not publicized. And I guess that comes back to that concept of we're all very private about our financial matters. But we constantly have relieved people who have gotten into difficulty. We have no money. We can't pay their mortgage. Uh, so if some, if some of us are not aware that that is being done, I think probably it would be good to share that information that it is being done. And hopefully we'll continue to develop even stronger partners for meeting those needs as they arrive. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm not saying all of this today because I don't think Otter Creek is doing that. And I, I hope you're not reading what I'm saying is that I this for, for me, this was just an exercise to, to because it, it's it's so hard to read the things about, you know, sticking somebody up to the doorpost and putting the all through their ear. And I, I, I get lost in those details. And so I, I'm, I'm trying to find ways to to make me and make us think. Of more more of the mindset, and I know and I know there are a lot of people that have that mindset here. Eric, um, I think one other difference is their religious community is also their entire economic community. Right. So it's a one to one, whereas the Otter Creek community 
it's, I mean, we do trade in the communal marketplace, so we do have some overlap with each other economically, but not wholly. Right. And so that that's a significant difference as well. But I, I do think it's a good exercise, like what you're saying, to think, well, what would this look like in our community? And and I think corporately, uh, you know, we, we participate in efforts like Room in the Inn or mm -hmm. the Habitat House um, for people even outside of the community. So we are living in that mindset of living with an open hand. But then also just, um, as Susan was saying, having that that mindset of everyone you encounter, everybody you're in community with, living with that open hand. So as a small, minute example, um, it may embarrass, uh, probably not Jason, but, um, <laughs> but last week Dixie was at an apartment complex giving books away to immigrants and uh, met a lady, became friends with a lady who needed dental work. And she says, do you know anybody who does dental work? And Dixie's not a dentist, but, but Dixie's in community with Jason White at church and Jason is a dentist and Jason lives with an open hand yeah. so she can call Jason and Jason says bring her in and so so all of that unfolds because we're in community with each other because we're all living in that mindset of, of having an open hand um, and, and then like I said we do things as, as a whole church as well yeah but, but that's really I think a beautiful picture of what it could look like yeah exactly and that's and and, and that's exactly what I was hoping to get out of the class, and I think we're we're right at ten forty-five. Which, yeah, thing. absolutely. Don't poo-poo that thing about the all through the year, because that that is a bond servant who works for you, who loves you so much, and you treat so well that at the end of their tenure says, "Please let me continue to do this," and so they pierce their ear, and that's Paul's yeah. favorite description of his relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm a doulos. I'm a bond servant yeah. to Jesus Christ. I love what I do. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and, and it's and it's 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 not it's not the idea. It's just this is hard for me to. <laughs> I, I get I get I get I, no pun intended. I kind of get stuck there. <laughs> Thank you guys. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I've got a